0: We think we've heard of that before Stranger stories every day Wonder what tomorrow's gonna bring So listen friends, we'll blow your mind With the finest nonsense we could find Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing Hi Hey
1: (laughs) Sorry, awkward pause there.
0: Uh, <laughs> Should we try that again? Take two. Hey, everybody! Hey, everybody! Does <laughs> <How's> it go? <going?
1: laughs> I'm totally leaving that first part in because I think it's awesome. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, this is the weirdest thing podcast.
0: Welcome back, or welcome. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know your life.
1: Yeah, this is like what going to be episode five? I think it's been like so long since we've recorded.
0: It has been a long bit because I had to I had to jaunt over to California. Yeah. For a hot second, um, and then. And then you got sick.
1: I got violently <laughs> sick. <laughs> Which we won't we won't go into details yeah, you about. Don't, you don't need all those details.
0: Uh, just know that it was violent. And then yeah. we tried to record yesterday, but
1: wind and snow. Right, we had a bit of a snow apocalypse.
0: I say but, that as a desert baby, full well knowing that anybody from actual snowy states is like, right.
1: "Fuck you." yeah i remember when i lived in boston the first year i was there i think we got in one night something like four feet of snow no
0: unacceptable
1: and then i i came back and it was that like big it was the 2008 or 2007 winter storm here and everyone was Mm -hmm. like snow apocalypse and i was like oh you (laughs) you poor poor summer children (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh i'm scotty milder If you guys didn't know, I'm a writer and filmmaker here in Albuquerque.
0: Yes, you are. And I am Amelia Poirot. I'm a theater artist and artistic director of, I guess I should just say it, right? I'm I'm the artistic director of Duke City Repertory Theater. Yeah, I don't know Um, why you're being all
1: coy about it. Well,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because there's a part of me that's like, there's a part of me that's similar. It's similar to the part of me that doesn't want to go talk to celebrities because I never want to be like, well, I'm, I'm an actor too. I don't know there's something about it that I it's just I don't know it feels yeah. weird and I don't I don't want anybody to have to be like
2: yeah. okay well you know go. Just
1: to clarify, I am not actually a celebrity, so this is your podcast, so you can say whatever the fuck you want.
0: I know. <laughs> I know. But I don't know why, but it like, it, and it's they're not the same thing, but they they, they like live yeah. in the same curio cabinet within my brain, yeah, but it's like, don't say it. anything. <laughs> it's Don't be dumb. Don't say anything. Yeah.
1: Well, this is our podcast. This is, uh, I think I already said it. This is the weirdest thing, yeah. and this week we've got a couple... Creepy old timey stories. It's it's going to be post Halloween when we post this, right? It's pre Halloween when we're recording it. So it's pre
0: Halloween when we're recording it. It's also pre election. So who knows? Maybe yeah. you'll one hundred percent be in the mood for horrific tales, or maybe
1: yeah, you'll and be if,
0: living a nightmare. Yeah. So who and, knows? If, and if
1: not, you know, feel free to tune back into us in another four years. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs>
0: God fantastic all right
1: anyway <clears throat> so i think you're starting it off this week
0: i am i'm gonna i'm gonna we're gonna lead with hope and i'm gonna lead us off the thing i'm gonna talk to you about today is this is my book report on the legend <laughs> of sleepy hollow Ew. yeah and so, i just gotta say
1: like for someone who has like an english degree i know shockingly little about the sleepy hollow story really yeah i know there was a disney movie and some mm-hmm. old-timey writer wrote it back in the day <laughs> this is <So>. true
2: <laughs>
0: This is true, some old-timey writer. Uh, There was a Disney animated movie. There was also the Tim Burton movie with Johnny Depp. Oh, that's right.
1: Christina Ricci. Was Chris Walken in it? Yeah he was the Headless Horseman I think.
0: Oh and he had those like awful teeth. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. I'm like it was either
1: Christopher Walken or like Mickey Rourke or someone like
0: that. No I don't (laughs) think it was Mickey Rourke. I I think it was Christopher Walken and I think he had awful teeth.
1: Yeah and and by awful. spiky hair.
0: Yeah and by awful I mean they were I feel like they were like all pointed, like filed yeah. down into points. Yeah. Oh, uh, I just had a recovered memory of that. Cool. So uh, yeah, so this is my book report on uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. So I'm glad I'm glad you don't know everything about it. That way it won't just be-
1: I know almost nothing about it.
0: Cool. Okay, then we're going to start with like a little brief overview of the story. So The Legend of Sleepy Hollow is actually widely considered to be America's first ghost story. Oh, cool. Uh, It was written by Washington Irving and published in 1820. So the story is set in 1790 and it covers, it's about, it's about a school teacher from Connecticut who's new to the area of Sleepy Hollow by the name of Ichabod Crane. He is described as like a tall, lanky fellow with a scare-like quality. There's something about like the distance of his hands from like, wrist to fingertips is like a mile long
1: and he has feet like shovels and oh I, wow That's, yeah there are <laughs> almost sounds like describing like marfan syndrome or something
2: <laughs> yeah
0: i like it was not i mean they did def, they definitely did not describe him as like a handsome <laughs> fellow
1: um no shade to people with barfan syndrome
0: no i don't even know what that is so we'll have to do another episode on that in and of itself so uh ichabod falls in love with uh the young and beautiful katrina von tassel which is uh, just a great name who is also being pursued by sleepy hollow's very own gaston uh abraham brom bones van brunt it's a
1: whole that's a mouthful.
0: It's a mouthful, and like Brom Bones is his nickname, which I, I sat there and looked at it for a long time, and I'm like, okay, well maybe the Brom comes from Abraham. I, I don't know. It, it, it's that it's that's a long that nickname's a long way to go from Abraham von Brunt to Brom Bones. So there's that. So. Like I said, Ichabod's a school teacher. I think i I think he fancies himself like a very good dancer and, and all of these things. And there's a big party one night and they're all there and and they're dancing and they're telling stories and of course the uh the story of the headless horseman comes about and it's this you know, it's these spooky tales from the area that have to do with this headless ghost who rides on his horse and he's very scary and all of the things. So you know, party, party, party,
2: <laughs> like
0: <laughs> late 18th century rager. And at some point in the evening, Ichabod makes his feelings for Katrina known to her. And she's like, thanks, but no thanks. So very dejected. He leaves. Uh He's yeah. Poor guy. But I mean, like, I'm glad that he was respectful and was like, okay, I get it and left. So he's riding home through the countryside and he, um, he's remembering, you know, it's spooky. It's the middle of the night. He's remembering all these ghost stories and he goes to cross a bridge. And that's when he sees like off to this, like off the side of the road, off of the bridge, he sees this gigantic misshapen figure. Um, And he's like, well, that's really weird. And as he passes it, the figure starts to follow him and it follows him just like, you know, a ways behind for a bit. And then Ichabod comes to a fork in the road and that's when all hell breaks loose. And this figure behind him starts galloping after him. Ichabod eventually gets a look at him and it's a a headless rider. He's got a jack-o'-lantern in his lap, Uh, you know, yeah
1: i ich- i forgot about the jack and lantern that yeah. scared the shit out of me when I
0: was yeah there. me too
1: yeah.
0: um you know and it's this giant black horse and it's this giant headless figure with a jack i almost said a jackalope which has nothing to do with the story <laughs> yeah. um uh jack different episode. different episode altogether. <laughs> has this jack-o-lantern in his lap and ichabod's of course freaking out and he's running, he's running, he's running. And then the story kind of cuts to like next morning and Ichabod doesn't make it down for breakfast. He doesn't make it to school. Finally, the townspeople are like, okay, hold up. Let's go look. Like something must've happened to him. Let's go look for him. They find the horse that he was riding that he had borrowed from a farmer, like in a field, eating some grass, like what's up. They find the saddle that had been on the horse knocked off. And next to the saddle, a smashed jack-o'-lantern. So everybody's like, well, we don't know. Maybe he just, maybe he decided he didn't like Sleepy Hollow. And so he (laughs) left and blah, blah, blah. But of course, all the old wives are like, no, there's no way. He was, he was spirited away by a supernatural cause. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And from that moment on, every time Ichabod gets brought up, Brom Bones has, it says, has, he has a knowing look about him whenever the story of Ichabod crane and his disappearance comes up Ooh, and I like
1: this braum bones guy
0: <laughs> and that braum can't help but laugh anytime they mention the pumpkin so washington irving act never actually says what happens to like it, it okay. the there's no resolution to the story that's how the story ends. is it like and Brom bones would laugh ha 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 um so it really leaves it up to the reader to sort of figure out what happened there? So that's, that's the main, like, overview of right. the legend of Sleepy Hollow. So this, this story is, like, my story for this week is funny because I was like, ooh, I'm going to do the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And I don't know if you remember me saying this to you, Scotty, but I was like, let me see how much meat is on this bone. Because
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I yeah. really
0: thought that there was going to be a whole lot about all of this. And there's not, but... There's a lot of information about a whole bunch of other stuff that directly ties into the story. So that's okay. what I'm going to tell you about now, which is kind of why I was like, this is my book report. So the Sleepy Hollow that is in the story could have been the Sleepy Hollow that exists in the northern area of a town called Tarrytown, New York. I know Tarrytown because they mention it in Mad Men.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that sounded familiar. And I was thinking some TV show. So that must yeah. be. yeah.
0: Yeah. So in Mad Men, they live in Ossining and there's an episode right. where Don is like, you know, we have to go to Tarrytown to buy antiques. And yes, he's talking yes. to the kids and he's like, if you guys go ahead and do this, we'll get ice cream. Right. Okay. Um. Yeah. So Ossining is like, I think, I believe further North. And if you like keep on going down, you'll see, like you'll, you'll get to, you'll get to Tarrytown. So t- Sleepy Hollow was a like a section of Terrytown. Okay. So it wasn't an actual separate town or anything. It was like I guess here kind of like being like, oh, that's over on the west side.
1: Yeah, like a neighborhood or
0: yeah, yeah, an area. So, it could be that. There's also people who think it's based on Kinderhook, New York, but I only found that in one source. Okay. Everybody else is like, "No, he's talking about Terrytown." Funnily enough, there was an actual Ichabod Crane. He was a soldier born in New Jersey in 1787, and he was stationed in New York for the American Revolution. It is unclear whether or not Washington Irving ever met the guy, but record of him exists.
1: It's not like, I mean, I, I guess I don't know like 1700s names, but that doesn't seem like it would be a very common name.
0: Ichabod's such a cool name. I mean I yeah. wouldn't name I wouldn't I don't know that I'd name a child Ichabod. I'd name a I'd,
1: dog Ichabod, though.
0: I definitely think about naming a beloved pet Ichabod. Yeah. Okay, so we've got Terrytown, and Terrytown was a Dutch settlement about twenty five miles north of New York City. The land was obviously once the original territory of the Wekwasjeek. I hope I say that right. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, The Wekwisdjik people until the Dutch, quote unquote, settled it in Mm -hmm. 1645. Yeah, we know what that
1: means.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So how, like, I have always wondered how the hell the Dutch ended up in New York. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about that now. Cool. So uh, there was a British explorer, again, heavy quotations, (laughs) named Hendrik Hudson, uh, and he sailed up what would become known as the Hudson River. Okay. Um, so he was actually looking for a northeast passage to Asia. Right. So I, think he was, I,
1: knew, I think I knew that because that's how like Hudson Bay got named.
0: Hudson it. River Valley, all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah it's all named after, after Hendrick. So he was he was poking around up there trying to find this northeast passage to asia to serve the dutch east india company Mm
2: -hmm. since
0: he sailed up the river and through the hudson river valley he again quote unquote laid the foundation for dutch colonization like i guess they were like he went no so so we get that now like that that's ours now cool cool, yeah he looked
1: at it on the horizon (laughs) so therefore it's ours (laughs)
0: Therefore, it's ours. <laughs> Funny little story about ye, Mr. Hudson. In 1611, Hudson, still looking for that Northeast Passage, and his, him and his crew had been wintering on the shores of James Bay in Canada. Okay. And once it started to get warm, he was like, awesome, guys, weather's starting to warm up. Let's get back to cracking at that Northeast Passage. And his crew was <laughs> like, fuck you! Eat a dick! Yeah. yeah. They mutinied. They oh. threw him, his teenage son, and seven other crew members who were either sick or weren't mutinying with them onto what was essentially a large rowboat and were like, bye. <laughs> and they were never seen again. Yeah. Well, he got a river named after him though. So. I mean, he got a whole area. I mean, it's yeah. not just the river. It's, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. So, and apparently like they set them off in this large rowboat, which has a name, but I don't, all all you really need to know is that it's, it's a, it's a big rowboat. That's what it is. And they're like, all right, get out of here. You suck. We don't want to look for this passage anymore. Well, (laughs) the nine people in the rowboat were like, oh yeah. And they start rowing. And so the Mm -hmm. people on the ship, the mutiny people on the ship are like, what? And so they start like trying to go and it's like neck and neck for a little bit (laughs) until finally they were like, we're on a boat with, like, sails and stuff. So they just, yeah. like, completely unfurled the sails <laughs> and were like, Mew!
2: and just got out of there.
1: Yeah. Um, so. I wonder if there's, with him never having been seen again, like, I've got to imagine there's got to be some story or legend about something being haunted by him up there.
0: Well, and that's an interesting thing, too, because this whole, like – the whole thing is, the whole the whole area is haunted. Yeah. Just, like, up and down. So if you live anywhere in this area of New York, like, good luck to you. Yeah. Uh I well, hope I mean, you have when some I talismans.
1: Lived, when I lived in New England and, like, exploring all over up into Maine and, you know, stuff like that, like, everything felt haunted. Right. Like, Boston felt like the most haunted place I had ever been.
0: Right. And I think that's the interesting thing about any place that has, like, I mean, obviously, all of America like mm-hmm. have, all of the land here has a long history. You know, I think it's the same thing with London. I think it's the same yeah. when you go anywhere where like civilization has been around for a very long time, like there's just right. going to be a lot of there's just going to be a lot of ghosts there. Yeah. Cool. So, here's some fun historical facts about the area. So, Terrytown is where John Andre was arrested in 1780 and John the the capture of John Andre is what exposed Benedict Arnold as a treasonous spy. Oh, wow. Yeah. I never heard that. Yeah. So, and it's a whole thing in Legend of Sleepy Hollow that like they're passing by the tulip tree that um, John Andre was arrested under and, you know, that his ghost still haunts the area and all that.
1: that's, That's cool.
0: Yeah, the Underground Railroad ran through Terrytown prior to the end of the Civil War, mm. and John D. Rockefeller eventually had a home in Terrytown in 1893. Which, of course, he did because he had homes everywhere. Yeah, uh, you know, who's just he was just trying to find an escape? Yeah. God bless, cut <laughs> him Poor some guy. slack. So, uh, Sleepy Hollow is again part of. This started to get confusing for me. So, Sleepy Hollow is part of Mount Pleasant, New York, which also includes Terry. okay Uh, it's a little like again sleepy hollow is the northern part of Terrytown. it was originally incorporated as part of Terrytown in the late 1800s in 1996 it officially adopted the traditional name for the area so it was like again it was like an area but in 96 they were like no we want to incorporate as a village we're going to do that whole thing so like Okay. There's a whole, like, mayor of Sleepy Hollow and, and all of that stuff. Due to the legend of Sleepy Hollow and the village's roots in early U.S. history and folklore, it's widely considered to be one of the most haunted places in the world.
1: Oh, I, road trip.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing to me about it is that all I can hear, like, all I can find is the Headless Horseman ghost, mm-hmm. which I'll get to later. And john andre okay that's it but they're like no way haunted and i'm like they're you just like, Terry, like you think sleepy hollow is more haunted than london
1: well i mean they're just like a couple of ghosts with like some real big dick energy
0: you know? <laughs> 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 oh my god big dick energy ghosts uh, <laughs> like a like a bunch of a-holes so um I think a little bit like Salem, Massachusetts, Sleepy Hollow has really leaned in yeah. to its sort of spooky uh, reputation. The mascots for the local school, I'm sorry, the sports team for the local school are actually called the Horsemen. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, yeah, I, it, I, it feels like a, a town that is just, they, it spends all year waiting for Halloween.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope it's not as cheeseball as Salem, though because that is a no shade ball. if you live in salem <laughs> <laughs> no like all the shade if you live in salem because that is the cheesiest fucking place in the country It comes. <laughs> <laughs> but i,
0: I still want to go there like i don't yeah, know i'm so fun. charmed it does so... have
1: it does have the house of seven gables which is really fucking cool
0: and i want i'm so charmed by the fact that like you know the police cars have the little like wh- like Witches i don't know yeah i think that that's very charming
1: so i think um, i just knew it from it's where like all the college kids in boston would just go get shit faced and like puke in gutters next to like a witch statue or something.
0: <laughs> Did so. they have like <laughs> loose id? Laws? I don't know, it was just
1: like it was just like known for like a big party destination for
0: all that. That's interesting. That's not what I would have thought yeah. about Salem, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, Terrytown was voted the second best place in New York to live in 2014. It is an absolutely adorable small town like Mm -hmm. when you look at the pictures and stuff and again it is like very much feels like they're waiting for the leaves to turn year round and they're like let's get the let's get the cider going let's get the fucking pumpkins and the hay out to decorate let's you know somebody pass me a steaming mug of something warm to drink uh they're they're really
1: living that fall life yeah this is kind of making me homesick for new england actually
0: road trip. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So there we go.
0: Uh, okay. So now we're going to move on to Washington Irving who ended up actually being way more fascinating than I, than I thought he was going to be. He was born April 3rd, 1783. He was actually born the week that the New York city residents learned of the British ceasefire, that ended the American revolution. So he's got this like mm. already, he's just kind of got this, uh, connection to, yeah.
1: Steeped in Americana kind of
0: thing. Yes, 100%. Yeah. He was named after George Washington and actually was blessed by our uh, first president uh, hmm. when he was six years old. Yeah, so that's interesting. That's cool. uh, he was a short story writer, essayist, biographer, historian, diplomat. He's best known for The Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle, who's the story about the guy who falls asleep for like 100 years. Mm-hmm. I actually am more creeped out by Rip Van Winkle than I am by The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, Rip
1: Van Winkle is, that's, I don't know if I've ever read the actual Washington Irving version, but just Mm -hmm. the idea of it is like, kind of.
0: Yeah, there's something real creepy about, like, you go to sleep one night and then, like, you wake up. And, like, how did that, I don't know, just like. I don't know I, I like everybody you know Is gone and uh, it yeah. just creeps me Out it really creeps me out so he wrote uh, Historical biographies That include biographies of Muhammad and George Washington Obviously mm-hmm. and he wrote histories Of Spain including uh, Histories of the Alhambra which was um, You know what I'm not gonna say it because I'm gonna Get it wrong we'll we'll put a fact check In when we do the social <laughs> media about it but uh, But it's a big it's a big place It's a beautiful place in Spain I want to say that it's like a four Slash castle. The only thing I remember about it is that it was lost, like lost in a battle or something mm. and the, the prince was like very upset about it and went to his mom, I think like looking for some solace and she said, don't cry like a woman for what you lost (laughs) he was like don't cry like a man like don't 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 cry like a man what you lost like a woman or something like that like she was like (laughs) yeah she was like you messed this up uh so don't come crying to me there was no 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 comfort there yeah so histories including the alhambra christopher columbus which is going to come back into play here in a bit and the moors Irving was one of the first people who advocated for writing as a legit profession in this country. And he fought for stronger laws to protect U.S. writers from copyright infringement, which is pretty cool. Like, yeah. I, I, writing at that time was a whole different thing, and it was... Well, I know I that know, was, I mean,
1: like, an issue with Poe a few years later. Like, part of the reason why Poe was sort of destitute, other than just being, like, crazy alcoholic and everything. Yeah. But, like... You know, he was a pretty famous writer, but he just kept getting his stuff stolen and reprinted, and he didn't get royalties. And, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. good for you, Washington. You? Good
0: for you, dude. He was one of eight surviving children. His parents actually had 11, but only eight of them survived. Washington was the youngest. His older brothers, I think this is very sweet, his older brothers encouraged and supported, including supported financially, his writing.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. rare, I would think.
0: Yeah, like, I don't know, I just think the whole thing is very, like... Yeah. Oh. <laughs> good, on, good on y'all. Um, he was a terrible student. He used to sneak out of school and go to the theater. You may remember that Washington Irving was one of the people who told McCready in the Astor Place riot story story that he was like, "Keep going, you know the like the gift oh, yeah. that you were giving civilization. Like let that let that spur you into action and and keep yeah. you know keep performing." Uh, so he was a lover of the arts. During a yellow fever outbreak in New York City in 1798, Irving got sent to Terrytown to live in a. To live with a friend. And that's when he started to learn all about Sleepy Hollow's like haunted history and their ghost stories. And let me say that it's ghost stories. It's local Mm. ghost stories. Who knows how much of this is based in truth, but... Sure. You know, fun haunted history. At nineteen, he starts submitting letters to the New York Morning Chronicle. He's doing commentaries on like the city social and theater scenes under the pseudonym Jonathan Oldstyle. This is one of many, 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 many pseudonyms that Irving will write under in his career. Um, I like
1: that one though, Jonathan Oldstyle. Like,
0: yeah, and it was it's, it said like the stuff I saw said that that was like a little bit of a tip of the hat to his Federalist leanings. Uh, yeah. His letters were so popular that Aaron Burr, who shot a guy, uh, used, to send, <laughs> used to send clippings of the old style pieces to his daughter, Theodosia.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah. Like, they, like Aaron Burr was so chuffed with these letters <laughs> that he was like, Theodosia, check these out. Irving ended up studying law, but he barely passed the bar. Like, bad, bad student and getting older did not... Yeah, hear him of that. While mourning the death of his seventeen-year-old old fiance, Matilda Hoffman, he completed a history, <laughs> a history of New York from the beginning of the world to the end of the Dutch dynasty <laughs> by by Diedrich Knickerbocker. So again, That's another alias, yeah. yeah.
1: He's, uh, like, he's kind of baller with his aliases like, he it gets like it gets <laughs> yeah it gets even
0: more baller from here on out in, in a bit uh so history of new york was a satire on the self-important local history and politics of the time and he was like this will be hilarious mm-hmm. in what is quite possibly the first documented case of like a viral marketing campaign uh before A History of New York, et cetera, et cetera, was published, Irving started this hoax of placing several missing persons ads in local newspapers seeking information on one Diedrich Knickerbocker, who was this crusty old Dutch historian who'd gone missing (laughs) from a
1: New York hotel. It's like very like Blair Witch
0: Project. 100%. He even went on to place like a a notice from the hotel's proprietor saying that if Knickerbocker didn't return to pay his bill, the hotel proprietor would publish the manuscript that Knickerbocker had left behind. (laughs) That's pretty genius. It's pretty genius. It got so out of control that like city officials were putting out notices of like rewards for information on Diedrich Knickerbocker. All of this stuff. So on December 6th, 1809, Irving publishes A History of New York, and it's an immediate and critical success. It's, again, it's that brilliant thing of like building all of this intrigue, and there's a whole story around it. So by the time the book came out, people were like, oh, fuck, this is the book. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess that hotel proprietor decided to publish this manuscript. Let's Mm -hmm. see what this is all about. So... Published immediate critical and popular success. This is a quote from Irving himself. He says, it took with the public and gave me celebrity as an original work was something remarkable and uncommon in America.
2: Mm.
0: So he was like, I did a really good job. Uh, (laughs) The the Knickerbocker name became a nickname for New Yorkers. First, it was originally used as a nickname for the descendants of Dutch settlers, and then it sort of became a blanket general nickname for new yorkers in general it was so synonymous with new yorkers that in the 1940s a plucky new basketball franchise decided to adopt that name when they became the new york knickerbockers now more commonly known as the new york knicks
2: yeah
0: (laughs) so any knicks fans out there if you don't know that you are a knickerbocker (laughs) that was a lot of fun for me i was like that is
1: really cool i mean i Um, think i knew that the knicks were really like called the knickerbockers but i didn't know the connection to washington irving that's cool
0: yep uh so irving went on to write biographies of like naval heroes he was an editor as an editor he reprinted francis scott key's defense of more Mm, let me try that again francis scott key's defense of fort mchenry which good grief my notes i was drunk when i (laughs) when i when i typed this um (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, woo! Uh, so, "Defense of Fort McHenry," which is the poem that provided the lyrics for the Star-Spangled Banner. Oh, okay. um, yeah. So, again, he's very like you know he's doing a lot of stuff. He's he's obviously like cares a lot about the arts, cares a lot about getting the word out. The War of 1812 left Irving's family. They were uh, they were a trade. They owned a trading company, and the War of 1812 left Irving's family in financial ruin. Mm. So, uh, and this was like most merchants uh, Mm. at the time. So Irving was like, all right, well, let me toot toot over to Europe and see if I can't make this a little bit better. Yeah. Maybe salvage the company and all that. It didn't work. The company ended up, the family business ended up filing for bankruptcy, but Irving ended up, you know farting around Europe for the next 17 years (laughs) yeah so
1: he things worked out for him I guess
0: yeah he was like I mean I guess I won't go home (laughs) Let's like let's see what's going on here so uh in Europe Irving kept writing he became friends with Walter Scott among other writers and he actually ended up writing with Van Winkle over the course of one night while he was staying with his sister in Birmingham, England. Mm. Uh, Rip Van Winkle became part of a collection of short stories that he published under the title The Sketchbook of Geoffrey Crayon Gentlemen. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that book, I guess, that, that collection was, was, it was published as a series that came out in between 1819 and 1820. It was done in seven installments. That also became a huge success. Uh, it's also... Where Legend of Sleepy Hollow is, all mm-hmm. that good stuff. So it becomes a huge success. Irving gets a lot of like fame and and you know, his reputation goes crazy and all that stuff. So for the next two years after he published that, he had this really awesome social life. He was flitting around Paris and all over Great Britain. And he like, as he's doing all of this, Europeans are sort of like, he is so like wonderful and interesting because he provided this anomaly of being an upstart American who, (laughs) it says, who dared to write English well. (laughs) Okay. All right. A lot of this stuff, a lot of these things that are happening in the late 1700s and the early 1800s is so much about Europeans in their way being like, I am just amazed that you can even read and talk like i like this is i totally thought you were just going to be this cave person
1: yeah well it's like i i think it was when i was living in la i told someone i think some movie executive or somebody that i was from new mexico and literally they were like they asked me like are the roads paved there get out of here like yes we're a state yeah (laughs) we 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 are a state yeah we have cities and cars and things (laughs) (laughs)
0: Coming <laughs> and
1: yeah. all sorts of cool stuff.
0: Yeah, it's yeah this sort of like idea that that people have of different areas where they've never gone. Of like, oh, I thought that that was this total, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like wasteland. I thought it was
1: Just you know filled with barbarians,
0: right? And, like undeveloped. Yeah, one hundred percent. So you know, Irving was catching some of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the things that Irving kept dealing with throughout this was literary bootleggers in e- in England. So like you were saying with the whole thing with Poe is that he would publish his stories in the US and then they would make their way over and people would like hear about them, read them, whatever and then, you know, copy them, do the mm-hmm. whole thing. So something that he was really struggling with and he didn't know how to do it. He didn't he like there was no recourse. For him, so it eventually right. led to him doing dual publishing in both the U.S. and England to try to combat that. Yeah. So, like I said, Irving keeps flitting around Europe. A certain point, he starts suffering from writer's block that he can't sh- he can't mm. shake this writer's block for a bit. I want to say it's like a year and a half or something, mm. uh, which sounds awful. He eventually meets and falls in love with a 18 year old woman named Emily Foster, who is an American living in Dresden. Um, how
1: old is he at this point?
0: Hold up. Let me go back.
1: Sorry to make you do some math here.
0: I mean, I won't do it. I'll just tell you. Um, so, <laughs> so, where, where is he? Hold on. Hold on, please. Okay. So he was born in 1783 and this is in,
1: 1823. Okay. So he's in his
0: 40s. Yeah, he's in his 40s. So he's yeah. another one. Yeah, he's another one. But Emily's like, thanks, but no thanks.
1: Oh, well, good for her.
0: Yeah, she was like, I'm not feeling this. Interesting, gossipy sidebar. Somewhere around this time, he meets Mary Shelley and she's like, hot for Irving. <laughs> He doesn't, he never gets with her. Just in case anybody's wondering if maybe Mary Shelley was, uh, either going out on her husband or maybe possibly involved in some type of open poly relationship, dear Percy had died in 1822, so he was was out of the picture.
1: I'm gonna totally get fact checked on this, but I think he like died in a boating accident.
0: Yeah, he was like 39 and he drowned, it was something like that. Yeah, so. Also, not a long time for her to be mourning. Like she was, like, oh, Percy, mm-hmm, so yeah. sad. Irving, what up? what's <laughs> up, <laughs> dude? Irving can get it. Um, so yeah, so Shelley tries to like hop on it, and he's he's not really into it. He never he never pursues a relationship with her. In yeah. 1826, Irving is invited to come to Spain by I think it I think it dip, I'm not gonna say he's invited to come to Spain. And whoever invites him is like, yo, we have all of these Spanish manuscripts that deal with the Spanish conquest of America. So, like, how would you feel about coming and writing some of this stuff down? It seems to me, this is maybe a bit of editorializing on my part, but it seems to me, like, whoever was like, hey, can you come do this? Was kind of interested in, like, can you come come edit? Can you come translate. Can you mm. like something like that? And Washington was like, what a wonderful opportunity to search like search for you know, thrilling source material. Mm-hmm. That's gonna come again, gonna come into play here in a little bit. So all of those manuscripts had just been made public. So whoever this is is like, come to Spain. Irving's like, cool, 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 cool. He goes to scour the material for for colorful material. He goes on to, because of this stuff, write a history of the life and voyages of Christopher Columbus. And this is the first book that is published under Irving's. Actual name. Everything oh, else, like had been, even
1: Sleepy Hollow and that stuff had. That's Jeffrey Crayon. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Okay.
0: Yep. Yeah. So this is the first thing published under his his actual name. Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus is a complicated book because imagine so. <laughs> yeah, because it, it's not a legit biography. And I want to stop real fast and do a, a little social media shout out because I actually found out about this because I saw a video on Instagram on the Conscious Lee on his page okay. and he had like TikTok duetted with another person. I believe this person's pronouns are she, hers. So that's what I'm going to use. Feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but this person is Diamond underscore Dog 74, who is talking about Christopher Columbus. What we know as Americans, what we were taught in school, all the like 1492, Columbus sealed the ocean blue, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. All of that comes from this book by Washington Irving. Okay. Like I said, it is not a legit biography. It would now be classified under the genre of romantic history.
1: Yeah. Or like historical fiction even.
0: Yeah. So again, none of this would be bad if it wasn't for the fact that like, this is what people came to be like, oh yeah, this is the story of Christopher Columbus. Mm -hmm. This book also includes the very false information that Columbus proved that the world wasn't flat. Like people had known that for a hot second.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I remember being in like second or third grade and a teacher telling me that Columbus proved that the earth wasn't flat. Like, so this isn't like ancient history.
0: No. Yeah. This isn't like, oh, no, school children like back then, turn of the century. No. Like, yeah. You and I, firm Gen Xers that we are, like, we were taught that stuff. Right. Yeah. All of this, also, none of this, none of what, um, Irving didn't include any of the awful stuff about Christopher Columbus, the stuff that Christopher Columbus himself talks about in his own handwritten journals. If you don't know, listeners out there, if you don't know the absolute god-awful atrocities that Christopher Columbus committed in his discovery of the Americas, again, heavy, heavy quotes around that do yourself a favor and go check it out because it's God awful. Decolonize your education as they say. So this book is filled with these like romantic ideas about Columbus again, including the false myth that he proved that the earth wasn't flat. Mm -hmm. Um, It's based on all of this Spanish source material. (laughs) But Irving was like, you know what? I like just really want to like, I just want to tell a good story.
2: Yeah.
0: So it's this like very hyperbolic story of Christopher Columbus. Irving was desperate to create to establish a very strong sense of patriotism in his mm-hmm. readers so he took the super nationalist viewpoint with okay. with this biography this is a quote the problem with the biography is not that Irving presented only a partial portrait but rather that in his ambivalence about the character of the of his hero and the imperialism that established the American colonies as well as his confusion about the function of historical writing he created two portraits of Columbus. Uh, That is from the book Literary Nationalism and Ambivalence in Washington Irving's The Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus Mm -hmm. by John D. Hazlitt, uh, if anybody wants to go check out that text. So in that way, Irving kind of kind of fucked us all didn't do, i i don't there's something so funny to me too about that he's like oh let me write this biography and then he's like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna let me create this like dashing hero this like <laughs> intrepid voyager who yeah. sails across the like i don't know well, that's, and also that's like completely like,
1: falls in line with who he is i mean and that's why like like one thing i learned is someone who has a journalism degree? Like yeah. part of why I got out of journalism is like I'm fundamentally a fiction writer, and like I'd be writing like news articles and just be like I could just you know juice this up a little. Maybe yeah, like, just like juice this up. Ma- maybe not. Maybe not the career for me.
0: Right. You
1: know? <laughs> so let's, yeah, we wish that Washington Irving had learned that
0: lesson. Yeah, that he'd had an editor that was like leave it the fuck alone and just tell the yeah. story yeah. instead of like you know trying to create this this hero. So that's what happens with The Life and Voyages of Christopher Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Irving continues to dick around Europe. He becomes a diplomat and he, he, I don't know, he does a whole bunch of diplomat shit until about 1832. <laughs> and that's when he finally comes back to New York. He keeps writing and he does stuff like he uh, he's one of the founders of the St. Nicholas Society in the city of New York. That is, in fact, the entire title, uh, mm-hmm. not the name of the organization and where it is located. It's a charitable group of, again, native New Yorkers. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) He forms some friendships with uh, young writers like Edgar Allan Poe and Charles Mm -hmm. Dickens. He lobbies for stronger copyright legislation. Uh, Here's a little quote from him. We have a young literature springing up and daily unfolding itself with wonderful energy and luxuriance, which which deserves all its fostering care. Mm -hmm. Again, like most historic figures, like a complicated man. He spent his last years, uh, the last years of his life, writing a biography of George Washington, which he actually completed just eight months before he died. Like it was the last thing that he did. Was it another Um, one where
1: he was just like making shit up or was this like a little more legit?
0: This one seems like it might be... um, (laughs) <laughs> let's probably let's say that it's probably a little less embellished but probably is still like, you know, probably a little bit of like historical. I don't want to say fanfic, but like <laughs> like <laughs> you know, probably was like oh, and Washington was like he cut a beautiful figure in his, you know, military slacks. You know, it was probably yeah. pretty worshipy. But I haven't read it, so who knows. If yeah. if you have read it, uh good for you. Um <laughs> He's also largely credited as as America's first man of letters and the first American to earn his living as a writer. He perfected the American short story. He was the first to set his stories in America, uh, even though he totally poached from German and Dutch folklore. He was also the first to write stories to entertain rather than to enlighten. And this actually was a huge deal because up to that point, it was all like, like, Cool if your stories were entertaining, but really they were meant to to, to enlighten. They were meant yeah. to make you a better person. Poe later said that he he felt that Irving's writing was actually kind of like, meh. Um, he was totally like, hey man, credit due for, mm-hmm. for being like an innovator, but the work itself is, is, is pretty unsophisticated. Others felt that he was all style, no substance. Quote, the man had no message, end mm. quote. And I actually don't know who that quote is from, so I just shouldn't have said the quotes. But, uh, well. Well, we're a not journalists. Of, so. <laughs> look, I am not a journalist. Uh, if you want that, you can go listen yeah. to something on NPR. Yeah. Um, we're
1: not journalists and you guys have Google, so.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you came for a history lesson, go fuck yourself. Um, but a couple of other interesting things. Washington Irving is the one who gave uh, New York City the nickname of Gotham. I think and
1: I knew that,
0: actually. Scotty, um, right. <laughs> just allow yourself to be surprised by my facts.
1: Um, and that was like the one thing I think I knew. <laughs> um,
0: it is actually an Anglo-Saxon word meaning goat's town, oh. which I think is hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> because you think you're like Gotham, you know, like, yeah. oh, the city of Gotham. And it's all very Batman. And it's, and it's like, it means goat's town. <laughs> so good on you. Uh, he's also responsible for the phrase, the almighty dollar. He also, this was, this was a little fascinating to me. He's largely responsible to the way that Americans celebrate Christmas. So he wrote five Christmas stories in the sketchbook. That's where he had the stories mm-hmm. of Rip Ben Winkle and Legend of Sleepy Hollow. And they really portrayed this like idealized celebration of old fashioned customs that had at that time in the U.S. just been abandoned. Yeah, so he sort of, like, is responsible for bringing the old world traditions of the holiday to the U.S. and making sure that they lived on. He's also responsible for the idea of Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, actually. But St. Nick being this figure who, like, sailed over the treetops in this giant wagon and
1: all that yeah. stuff. So that's pretty cool. So that's, that's, like, kind of an American thing.
0: Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I, I guess, guess so. Painter John Quidor? q u i d o r uh used many of irving's stories as direct inspiration for his work and when i say direct inspiration i mean like he was writing or he was painting scenes from his story so he's got like, uh, ichabod crane flying from the headless horseman the return of Whip rip van winkle and the headless horseman pursuing ichabod crane
1: they're basically just like illustrating his work basically
0: I guess Yeah. I guess he was just like, I love these stories. I <laughs> so. I can't get enough. Uh, let me, here's a painting. <laughs> um, so that's sort of some, so that concludes the Washington Irving portion of, of my story. So now I'm going to talk, let's get to the good stuff. Now I'm going to talk about the actual headless horseman. Okay. So again, the sort of concrete, Facts that we have uh, of the myth is that it's a man on horseback. He's missing his head, and there we go. That's that's the basic general yeah. knowledge. But this myth has actually been around since the Middle Ages. Sometimes he's carrying his head. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes the head is a head. Sometimes it's a jack o' lantern. So in Irish folklore, what we have uh, there is a headless demonic fairy who carries he- uh, his head under his arm and yields a whip made from a human spine. Oh, metal. that's
1: fucking (laughs) (laughs) so metal. Um, I want that on a (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt.
0: Yeah. And that's kind of the funny thing to me is that I'm like, you had a headless horseman and you were like, you know what? Jack-o-lantern. You could have gone with the spine, the human spine whip.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's the version I would have written.
0: Right. Way worse, way creepier than a jack-o-lantern. And you and I find the jack-o-lantern creepy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, in in
0: this in this folk tale, when the de- demonic fairy stops riding, a death will occur. So he's okay. also some. He's sometimes also known as the headless driver of a black carriage. So mm. Sometimes he's not on horseback; he's driving a carriage. In Scottish folklore, the tale tells of a man named Ewan who was decapitated in battle, which meant he couldn't become a chieftain. Mm. Both he and his horse are headless. And then in English folklore, Gawain. And the green knight, the titular knight, who's a giant, BT does, the giant knight is the headless horseman. So after he is beheaded, he lifts up his his own head and rides from the hall where the beheading took place, challenging Gawain to meet him in one year. That's baller, to be like, beheaded, I'll take my head, I'll see you in a year.
1: (laughs) You just (laughs) wait.
0: You just wait. There, uh, okay, so now we move on to American folklore. There is a South Texas version that inspired A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed, which was written in 1865. It's the story of El Muerto. It's a real pro-America tale. Mm -hmm. It's these noble Texas Rangers bravely protecting their territory north of the Rio Grande against land greedy Mexicans and Mm. savage natives. Uh, It's, it's a pretty disgusting story, honestly.
1: I Um, I don't remember when the Mexican American war was, but it couldn't have been long before this. So there's gotta be some like spillover propaganda happening
0: there. Yeah, and it's real it's just real like, you know, brave Texas Rangers were protecting everyone and their land from these Mexican these it's all just like very yeah. like ugh. Gross.
2: um
0: yeah, it's 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 not nice. But to give you a basic idea of the story, it's essentially the story of a lynching of a man who mm. after death was beheaded, strapped to a saddle that the Texas Rangers threw on a wild mustang. They tied his hands to the pommel, they tied his head to the saddle with a long strip of rawhide and they basically like set the the wild mustang free to like roam Mm -hmm. the plains with its with its terrible burden Uh, the body of the man is finally laid to rest and that's when tales start popping up of a headless rider galloping through the mesquite on clear nights in south texas one of the places I saw this story was a website called Legends Legends of America dot com, and when I was looking at it, I was like, Ooh, "Oh God, like this is this is." okay, but it's like super dated. So I get it. It's being told yeah. all the time that effing website had been updated in 2019. So I'm kind of calling out this website to say like, please take a look at the language that you're using in this yeah. website. And
1: let put a disclaimer or something.
0: At least, but at least put a disc at minimum, yeah. put a disclaimer. Um, but it was all very like, I don't know. It felt very much. Uh, it felt gross. I yeah. was not happy after reading that. So there's that story. Um, mm-hmm. and I didn't like it. Which also, which finally, rather, brings us to the original Legend of Sleepy Hollow Headless Horseman. The Legend of Sleepy Hollow has the Headless Horseman being a Hessian soldier, which I didn't actually know. I was like, what the fuck is a Hessian? And apparently it's just like, it was a catch-all for any soldier from Germany who fought for the Brits during the American Revolution. Oh,
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the term Hessian before, but I didn't know what Yeah.
0: I, I I like you know I hear that I'm like oh a hessian shot and it makes me think of like oh they're trained in a certain way no it was just like i don't know those you know
1: the german folks some german who liked the brits
0: <laughs> yeah so um so legend has it that this hessian was killed during the battle of white plains in 1776 he was decapitated by a cannonball
1: mm.
0: i god bless
1: yeah Oh, that just sounds like the absolute worst. Well, we're gonna get to more cannibalism when we get. To all more-
0: right, cannibalism. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're like cannonball cannibalism, cannibalism cannonball. Um, <laughs> uh, the shattered remains of his skull were left on the field, while the rest of his body was quickly like, you, you know, they scurried it away. They went out and, I, that's awful. But I just have this image of like, you know, when they're like when the tennis people like run to go get the ball. <laughs>
2: oh my god that is so
0: awful (laughs) oh my god okay so shattered remain, like you know his poor body is like taken away Mm -hmm. they bury him in the old dutch church cemetery of sleepy hollow and from there he rises every night looking for his head and carrying a jack-o'-lantern as a substitute but again it's not like they're like oh here's the grave of the headless horseman like yeah
1: i mean it sounds like imported folklore you know 100% it's like my grandpa who is from oklahoma and his family was originally from Tennessee, used to, like, scare us with stories of rawhide and bloody bones, which was just something I thought he made up. But uh-huh. it turns out it's, like, Irish folklore that got oh. imported to the American South, you know, at some point.
2: Oh, interesting. Um, so,
1: yeah, it's, like, it sounds, like, very much, like, going back to the Germanic and yeah. European sources and then just kind of gets, like, plopped into Right.
0: Right, everybody. Everybody needs a little bit of a boogeyman, right? Yeah, to to keep exactly. society in check. So, the legend of Sleepy Hollow actually just turned two hundred years old, and the story oh, continues yeah. to fascinate folks of all ages. There are film festivals, ghost tours, uh, reading challenges, all of this stuff. In two thousand nineteen, Terrytown, Irvington, which is obviously named after Washington mm-hmm. Irving. Uh, And Sleepy Hollow announced their plans for an 18-month celebration of Irving and his works, including, obviously, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. I'm certain that COVID, like, fucked up those plans. But I do sincerely hope that they were able to get at least a couple of good months of celebrating in under their belt. And that is my book report on The Legend of Sleepy Hollow.
1: That's fascinating because that I'm going to have to go back and actually read that story because I don't, like I, like I said, I didn't really know much about it.
0: Yeah. It's you would I think
1: it, me as the horror guy, you would think I would know more about that story. Right.
0: But I think that's the interesting thing is because like, as you're reading it, because I did read it for all of this, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. It is, it was tough for my modern sensibilities to read because Irving wants to spin a good tale. Yeah. So it, it, it's a lot. <laughs> like well, you're the, sort of
1: like okay buddy get to the point man <laughs> yeah i mean a lot of that stuff written around that time period which was kind of coming out of like the romantic era is just very like purple prose lush writing 100 percent. But like to modern sensibility it can be a little like just fucking get to the point yeah yeah speed it up so, buddy um <laughs> yeah, like even like i appreciate a ground poe but i don't go back and read a lot of his stuff because you find that in some of his stuff too and it just gets it like wears you down
0: yeah and i think you know i mean the story is 25 28 32 pages Mm -hmm. long like it's not a it's not a long story but it's a lot of
1: build-up for uh, for
0: for 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 like you know the 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 actual action of it is like right at the end
1: yeah and then with this ambiguous ending which i appreciate because that's
0: I mean, I love a good ambiguous ending.
1: Yeah. And I don't think you had a lot of that back then. True. That was probably an influence on Poe, I would think. Right.
0: And I bet people were so mad. Like, they were like, one, I didn't learn anything. (laughs) And two, you haven't even told me what happened to the damn guy. I
1: mean, I get that with my writing a lot (laughs) people are just like what's where's the ending i'm like i don't know what do you think the ending
0: is i don't know what do yeah what do you think the ending is i don't have to think you want me to you want me to read and think at the same time what am i
1: (laughs) 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 no that's that's super that's super interesting there we go yeah
0: spooky tales
1: okay well my story is a lot grislier than that it's also i think gonna be shorter because there's Not actually a lot of information on this. So I'm going to tell the legend of Sonny Bean, the Sonny Bean clan of Scotland. So if there are any, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre fans out there, this is kind of like the original source material. Seriously? Yeah. And I'll I'll get to that. Okay. So the legend of Sonny Bean. So according to the Newgate calendar, which was, I guess, like a tabloid, like a broadsheet in the UK. And from what I could find, I think this may be the first time that Sonny Bean was actually referred to, and this would have been in like the 1800s. But according to this tabloid, Sonny Bean was born Alexander Bean sometime in the 1500s, either the 1500s or 1600s, in East Lothian Scotland, which is like, kind of on the coast, on the east coast. Like when I went out to Edinburgh, I remember people talking about, oh yeah, East Lothian. I think almost was like a suburb of Edinburgh. Okay. But I, don't, I could be totally wrong about that. But I know it was east of the city on the coast. Some of the accounts say he was actually born in the thirteen hundreds or fourteen hundreds. And I'll get to why I think that discrepancy exists mm-hmm. in a little bit. So uh Sonny's or Alexander Bean, later to be known as Sonny Bean, uh, his father was a ditch digger. Um, and he tried to get his son to take up the trade. Uh but Sonny was like, Work. Fuck
2: that. <laughs> Ew.
1: Ew. Just, Ew, David. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he was he was he was just like, Nope, not gonna do that. Now some of the stories I read say that he worked as a tanner for a while, which is like tanning hides, basically.
0: Is okay, sorry, real fast. Mm-hmm. I know I know hat makers, right? They would go, they would they they did not do well because of the mercury. Did,
1: yeah. But what? Why know. am I? What am? What are the? Yeah, because I don't know. I don't know really what goes into tanning, other than like you're taking animal skins and basically turning it into leather. Right. Which I think is gonna play into the story.
2: Right.
1: Um, yeah, I don't okay. know. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, if Sonny Bean actually existed, which there's a lot of question marks around that, I and mean, the dude was fucked up, so like you know maybe mercury had something to do with it who knows right um but so he supposedly maybe worked as a tanner for a while but then some of the stories say like no he would just he just fucked off like his dad was like <laughs> i want you to i want you to work with me digging ditches and sonny was like peace old man and just took oh, off. okay and so he bounced around scotland for a while and then he ended up meeting a quote vicious woman uh named black agnes douglas
2: that's a great um,
0: name yeah black agnes
1: <laughs> i mean it's like you almost expect she was a pirate or something
0: uh yeah i bet she just uh no. i just yeah. already just aesthetically i i i'm feeling
1: it well we'll see how you feel about her in a couple minutes here okay okay, <laughs> um, okay, okay. sonny and her both were just like antisocial, vicious assholes so Ooh. they were just like two peas in a pod she was so vicious that she was actually accused of being a witch um, so Sonny and Agnes like went on the run and they ended up uh, and, and so the way they were surviving because they didn't want to work. So they were just ambushing and robbing people.
0: And, um, okay. And when is this taking
2: place?
1: So according to most of the stories, this would have been like the late 1500s probably or sometime okay. in the 1500s. Okay. Uh, but So they were basically road bandits. They ended up in an area called Benane Head. Which is, so if East Lothian is on the east coast of Scotland, Benane Head is on the far southern west coast okay. of Scotland. Basically right across whatever, I guess it's the Irish Channel. Uh, right across from like Belfast. So they ended up in this area of Benane Head, which is uh, it's essentially what it is. is like a big rock outcropping that goes out into the Firth of Clyde which is basically the mouth of the River Clyde uh, near the village of Girvan. And I don't know if I'm going to get all this pronunciation right. Well, you um, better. Yeah. <laughs> so they were there. They were hiding out. They realized that they were going to get caught with all this robbing. So they, Sonny Bean had the idea, well, you know, the best way to not get caught is to just start murdering people. Oh, wow. So they started murdering their robbery victims. And then Sonny had another brainstorm. And was like, you know, actually, the best way to get rid of the evidence is why don't we just start eating them?
2: Ew. So
1: they turned into cannibals. They were hiding out in Benin Head, and they found uh, a cave, which apparently actually exists. And I did look up some pictures of it. <gasps> now, and I saw a couple different accounts of it. Some say it was a 700-foot deep cave in the cliff face of this Banane Head. Another couple sources I saw said there's actually like a mile's worth of caves in there with all sorts of offshoots and branches and stuff. Mm-hmm. But the thing about this cave is that where it was on like the bay, it was called Ballantree Bay, where I guess this Firth of Clyde comes out into the bay. The cave mouth was only accessible at low tide. So when high tide came in, it was like water. You couldn't get to, you couldn't get You couldn't, like, walk to the cave. You'd have to, like, rowboat over there. So no one ever thought, like, there could be anyone living in this cave. Like, I think Mm -hmm. people knew about the cave, but, you know, they were just kind of like, whatever, there's a cave over there. So they're hiding out in this cave, They and then they started killing and eating their victims.
0: God, gross.
1: They lived, according to the legend, they lived in the cave for, I read a couple different places, some said 25 years. Some said 30 years. You know, okay. Two to three decades hiding out in this cave. In that time, they produced eight sons, Oof. six daughters.
0: What? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were done at eight sons. No, no. Well, very I mean, very important they're that living... they had
1: daughters because they had eight sons, six daughters, and then 18 grandsons and 14 granddaughters. Oof. Now, a little bit of a trigger warning here because we're going to get into some incest, but like where did those grandkids come from oh, yeah
0: I hate um, everything yeah
1: it's awful so uh yeah so obviously uh, the grandchildren were products of incest i've heard different stories again sorry trigger warning yeah you Funny. ran right up on that trigger warning i know just like just <laughs> like there was no
0: <laughs> there was no like I, I, hey before we get started i probably should cannibalism, have murder <laughs> no incest you were like and then they oh, were the effing way. each other sorry trigger warning
1: <laughs> yeah. and like ran yeah,
0: right up on it
1: <laughs> yeah i kind of planned that poorly but so they uh you know some of the stories were that sonny was impregnating his daughters some of the stories was that the sons oh. and the daughters were having kids together but it was just this feral clan Hiding out in this cave. And then they would survive essentially by uh, planning these, from what I read, like very carefully planned ambushes on travelers who were passing by. And they would kill the people, drag them back to the cave, chop them up, eat them, and then pickle parts of the bodies to like keep them, I guess, for, I don't know, leftovers. And then the inedible parts, they would just throw out into the Into into the the tide. Okay. Um. And so these body parts for thirty years were washing up on the shore, and people were like, "I don't guess it's animals, maybe sharks." Like, you know. So no one was really thinking like anyone was being murdered, but people did know it's like we have a lot of disappearances around here. Yeah. People were kind of aware that a lot of people, you know, they go out. You know, there were a lot of villages around, and someone would be going from one village to the next, and they'd be never seen again. But people weren't really thinking yeah like who's gonna assume oh there's a terrible cannibal clan hiding in that cave over there but as more and more people kept disappearing so so apparently the the story is that they would either attack individuals or small groups it would be like the entire clan would swarm them
0: all what is it 16 of them right
1: no it was like 40 something of them jesus christ <laughs> oh
2: yeah. my god!
1: I, I saw some places said 45 and some places said 48 uh, at there, what of the beans
0: I, I just have to wonder at what point were they like hey you know you and your oops i just hit my microphone sorry if that sounded bad but like right. hey you and you're old enough now so like here's a hatchet you're yeah. on your first hunt like yeah
1: and like there's there's really not a lot of information that's okay. like direct sources so who knows But but it sounds like it was the entire clan was was involved. So they would attack individuals in small groups, they would kill or incapacitate the victims, drag the bodies back to the cave, dismember them, eat them, pickle the leftovers, discard the inedible parts. And over time, people were aware of the disappearances, but you know, they were assuming it was animals. But eventually it was just too many disappearances and people started getting suspicious. The first people That were being suspected were actually innkeepers because, you know, there'd be some traveler would come through, stay at an inn, move Mm -hmm. on, and then disappear. And so the last person to see them were the innkeepers. Mm -hmm. Now, keep in mind, like, to me, this thing about suspecting the innkeepers is actually more evidence that the Sonny Bean story may be bullshit or maybe like a legend. Okay. Because most of the stories of the Sonny Bean clan started popping up in like the 1800s. And this was around the time of Burke and Hare. And if you've ever heard of Burke and Hare, Mm -mm. they were a couple innkeepers. And this this is a true story. Innkeepers in um, Edinburgh who were killing their guests, killing and robbing their guests. And I Mm -hmm. think killed like 16 of them before they were caught. When I went to Scotland for a film festival back in 2005, I did this like big bus tour. I think I've told you about this, this bus tour that went up to Loch Ness and then uh-huh, back.
2: Uh-huh. And
1: I loved it because like everywhere you went, our tour guide, who was just this Highlander Scottish guy, he would just point out the window and be like, see that over there? And then he would just tell some terrible story. Like everything I... was just like a massacre or but the first God thing he pointed out
0: less tour guides like that
1: yeah well it also just seems like this is scotland like right everything was about like oh here's where a bunch of highlanders were massacred by the british right this is where the mcdonald's massacred the McLeods or whatever they were <laughs> like but the first things he pointed out in Edinburgh was this is the graveyard that the medical students used to rob for bodies that they would then sell to the medical school for like anatomy classes and then he pointed out and over there was the inn where Burke and Hare were killing everybody but since the Burke and Hare story was like very well known at the time Mm -hmm. and then this whole thing about these innkeepers being suspected was pulled into the Sonny Bean story I just feel Mm -hmm. like they're like combining a lot of things you know so I'm so, so as awful as this story is, I'm fairly suspicious that it's not actually a true story. Spoiler. Okay. Out. Spoiler. Alert. Okay. So, sorry, I lost my place here. Take okay. It so. so finally, people started putting together little hunting parties to go out looking for whatever was killing people. Again, thinking it was probably wolves. Like people were still not thinking that this was human murder situation people were like oh the wolves are attacking and killing people which if you know anything about wolves is like they don't do that like wolves don't actually kill people but
0: but i think that's also a bit of just like human nature right To like i I don't know maybe at that time just it would feel like this has to be the work of an animal this mm -hmm. cannot like you know this cannot be the work of an
1: enlightened human being because these body parts were like clearly eaten Right, you know, so it's like, you're not going to assume it's people doing this.
0: Um, You and I would have
1: assumed it was people. I probably would have. That's probably would have been my go-to. Yeah.
0: Like if we'd been living around then and you were like, hey, I think it's people, I would have been like hard same.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So people were starting to get suspicious because of just the volume of disappearances over time that, you know, maybe there was – at least some of them were murders because I think like roadside banditry was definitely a problem of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when they started suspecting the innkeepers. And then one night, according to the story, a young married couple was riding home from a local fair when the beans descended on them. All 900 of them. Mm-hmm. And the story's pretty awful. So, Ooh. so apparently- All right,
0: hold on, hold on. Give me a second. Let me drink some water. Hold on. Give me a second. Okay.
1: <laughs> steal yourself okay i'm ready so supposedly the bean clan descended on this poor couple returning home from a fair, and before the husband could even react the women of the bean clan pulled the wife off of her horse and had her stripped and disemboweled within like a minute meanwhile the men of the bean clan were trying to attack the husband but he was a i think a former soldier from what i had read or at least according to the story and he was skilled in combat so the first thing he did is he actually turned his horse and charged into the attackers, mm-hmm. scattered them, and then was able to fend them off with his sword and his pistol. So as he's fighting them, a bunch of other fairgoers, most of the stories I read said it was like 20 people, on, also on their way home, came over the hill, see this big fight, this big battle happening. Mm-hmm. The beans realized they were outnumbered and took off. So at this point, they're exposed. People know okay, there's some murdering happening here. Mm. They took the injured husband to the local magistrate. And I think this was, they took him to Glasgow, from what I read. Mm-hmm. He told what happened, revealing the existence of this murderous cannibal clan. The king, who was probably King James the Sixth of Scotland, who reigned from 1603 to 1625, Led a search of nearly 400 men with bloodhounds. Now, this is where I think the discrepancy, I never saw this, but just doing the math, I think this is where the discrepancy in the years comes from. Because mm-hmm. some of the stories say that the beans were, you know, in the late 1500s into the 1600s when they were discovered. But then some say it was the 1300s or 1400s. Right. I think it all comes back to this king. Because King James the sixth of Scotland was also known as King James I of England. But there was, because he was reigning over both realms.
0: Right. But
1: there was an earlier King James I of Scotland who was in the 1300s. So I think there's a confusion. People are confused about which king was. I'm confused reigning. about which king. Yeah, It took me yeah. a while to untangle that. <laughs> yeah, 100%. But let's just say it was King James the VI. Uh, so this would have been sometime in the 1610, 1615 realm. There are no exact dates on any of them. Right, Uh, supposedly led this search of nearly 400 men with bloodhounds. The bloodhounds led them to the cave, which had previously been ignored because of the high tides. They happened to go down there at low tide, and the bloodhounds were like right up to the cave. Good good doggies. Um, Good doggies. So the king and his hunting party of 400 men went into the cave where they discovered the beans. And again, this is pretty awful. They found the entire bean clan inside the cave surrounded by body parts Mm. some of the body parts were said to have been found hanging from hooks that were suspended from the ceiling like sides of beef Mm. um they also found barrels like pickle barrels filled with severed limbs (laughs) okay (laughs) and then they found piles of like stolen loot like piles of watches and things like that so it was like proof that they had been at this for a very long time yeah. Now, the most commonly told version of this story is that the beans were all captured alive, taken back to Gervon, then transferred in chains as a group to either Life or Glasgow,
2: uh-huh.
1: where they were all just executed without a trial. Because basically, they were like, these people, or these things aren't even human. They're subhuman. They don't even deserve a trial. So we're just going to kill them. They're so obviously guilty. Again like a little bit of a this is kind of gross Mm -hmm. sonny and his sons were said to have had their genitalia cut off and burned and then their hands and feet severed and were left just to bleed to death (laughs) and as he's dying sonny reportedly shouted it isn't over it will never be over and then died so it was over. So it was pretty over, <laughs> <way>. <laughs> You dick. It was yeah. over. You suck. Eat a dick. Actually, eat your own dick, which Actually, cut off of. Actually, eat <laughs> your own dick. <laughs> your own burnt dick, which I'm going to shove in your mouth. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I like
0: that we're like how awful, and then we're like eat your flaming dick. <laughs> yeah. Scotty and I have a have a healthy taste yes. for vengeance.
1: Yes, we do, <laughs> as our text message threads tend to. Reveal. Yeah. So then Agnes and her daughters, and then all of the children were forced to watch the men die, and then they were all just burned at the stake, and probably because they thought they were witches. Now, another version is that the beans were just simply sealed up in the cave, like they set off gunpowder chargers and just <sharp inhale> collapsed the cave and then basically forced them to eat each other and then die of suffocation wow. or starvation. This seems less likely, though, because the cave entrance for the cave that everyone says this is the Sonny Bean Cave is like open and exposed. It's still so there, it's yeah. not collapsed. Now, this is an interesting little sidebar to the story, and I couldn't find a lot of like specific information on it Um, but it's also one of those things that makes this whole story kind of suspect is that supposedly one of the bean daughters escaped at some point so either before like she might have escaped from the family before all this went down or escaped like being captured Mm -hmm. um and then she settled in the town of girvan where she planted a tree on dalrymple street um, which Dalrymple. is I guess Dalrymple. I know a Dalrymple. Um, I guess it was like one of the main thoroughfares of this little village. And they said it was a doulay tree, which I looked that up and what that is, is basically a gallows tree. It's like the tree that oh. you would hang people from. Yeah. For lynchings or executions. And then at some point the villagers discovered who she was, so they hung her from the tree. You look super sad keep in mind she was a cannibal murderer but
0: but i just think i just think that like if she'd left maybe she was like i hate this yeah i mean mean, 100 percent. that's me giving her
1: a lot of credit that's the generous version yeah 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 well yeah it's true if she had escaped before the king came looking then maybe you know maybe she's not as awful if she had just escaped the bloodhounds then it's like
0: well yeah then yeah 100 percent
1: Um, But so they supposedly hung up from the tree, which was called the hairy tree. Now, it's real unclear whether the tree exists at all.
2: Okay. And
1: actually, the town of Girvan, they have a website, Girvan Online. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. This is in 2011. They actually ran a campaign that was started by a local investigative journalist to see if they could find the location of the hairy tree. And it doesn't sound like they did. Now, this is where it does seem all pretty suspect to me okay. because like a lot of people are pointing out like, okay, it's not like she supposedly planted a tree in her yard, which was tucked away. So it's like, she escapes from this like awful cannibal clan, shows up in town and then goes to like main street, right? plants a tree. And is there long enough for the tree to get big enough for them to then hang her from
0: Hang it. her from it. Yeah.
1: So a lot of people are like, this seems like a bullshit story. Right Now, it is said that the beans might have killed up to or even more than a thousand people during their time hiding out. Okay.
0: That's unnecessary, especially with all the, like, pickled meat that they had. Yeah. That's too much.
1: (laughs) Well, it's funny. Like, some of the uh, articles I read, and I couldn't tell if they were trying to be funny, Uh um, but they Mm -hmm. would say things like, you know, the beans are trying to survive, and then they realized, well, let's just move to a high-protein diet. Of eating people.
2: (laughs) Unacceptable.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) You're going to make a joke, at least make a good one. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. So here's some of the evidence about whether or not the bean story is actually real. Okay. So it's really hard to say whether they existed because there's essentially no contemporary information. Okay. There are no records of it from the time period. Most of the stories are from at least a couple hundred years later and really, it became popularized in the 1800s. Like I said, in these like kind of kind of broadsheet penny dreadful type pamphlets. So there are no lists of missing persons or executions from the time period that match the description of the beings. There's also no information on suspected or executed innkeepers. So here's a quote from a guy named Sean Thomas of the Fortean Times. This is from 2005. He says, from broadsheet to broadsheet, the precise dating of Sonny Bean's reign of anthropophagic terror varies wildly. Sometimes the atrocities occurred during the reign of King James VI or the reign of King James I more than 150 years before. Other versions claim that the beans thrived hundreds of years ago which could place them all the way back into the days of the Bruce or even Macbeth. Yeah. It's also the Sonny Bean story is very similar to the legend of Christy Cleet, which is from 1300s in Scotland. So supposedly a guy named Andrew Christy, he was a butcher. And this was during a severe famine in the mid 14th century. He joined a group of scavengers in the foothills of the Grampians. And I forgot to look up where the Grampians are, but I think it's somewhere up in the highlands. And then because there's this massive famine going on, one of them died of starvation. So Christie, who was a butcher, was like, I can help out, butchered the body, and then fed his companions a meal. They supposedly developed a taste for human flesh, and then under his leadership, they started ambushing and robbing and killing the travelers who, in the passes of the Grampians, which I guess this must be like a mountain range. They would feed on their bodies and their horses. Now, I think i just honestly got more sad about the horses yeah i I know yeah (laughs) well like when you said that about the headless horse like in the headless horseman story i was like oh yeah i don't care about the guy but who had to cut the head off the horse oh man okay um i think there's maybe a little bit more evidence that the christy cleek story might be based in truth but even it seems like It's very sketchy. Mm -hmm. And then there's also some arguments that the Sonny Bean story was actually anti-Scottish propaganda. Because a lot of the Sonny Bean stories really popped up, like I said, in the kind of 1700s, 1800s. This was after the Jacobite rebellions, where essentially the Scots were trying to throw off the yoke of the King of England. Okay. And so, you know, the Sonny Bean story would have fallen in this tradition of depicting the Scots as like... Barbarians oh. uh, to this, like, shocked English audience. Mm-hmm. Some of the places I read said that this is kind of a suspect theory because these stories were popping up in all these, like, kind of Penny Dreadful type pamphlets. And these stories, or in these pamphlets, were just chock full of also horrible stories of English murderers. So it seemed like it was just more like true crime kind of people. They liked the pulpy, you know. Right. Whatever. So it seems like maybe a little less. Overtly meant to be propaganda, but I think it probably did play into a lot of like anti-Scottish propaganda of the time. You know, just anti-anti-Scottish yeah. sentiment. You know, right? Okay, so there have been some songs written about Sonny Bean. Okay. Um, here's here's the lyrics, and I'm not going to try and do the Scottish brogue. Okay. Just one yeah. one verse <laughs> from uh the Ballad of Sonny Bean, which I believe is a 1700s folk song, who says they. Mm-hmm. They've hung them high in Edinburgh Edinburgh tune and likewise are ah, their kin. And the wind blows cold on their veins, which I guess is bones.
2: Uh-huh. The
1: hell they have gone. Hey, going, which I think they <laughs> have gone.
0: <laughs> can we play, can we post the lyrics on social yeah, media? I'm
1: totally going to because and, I butchered the shit out of that.
0: And if you send us a recording of you doing this, then once we get merch you'll get a free something you'll get a free something yeah
1: there's this other one i'm just gonna read part of this this is for and i couldn't really figure out who this is this is like more modern recent song and i listened to the youtube of it it's by someone named Raimi and i don't know who this is i just like some because the song is like real folky
2: Mm -hmm. But the lyrics are
1: super metal So I'm just going to read a few of them Okay, This is a craving for flesh and blood Forty-eight gaping mouths to tame A cave full of starving weans He'll chew the fat with anyone He'll chew anyone's fat And make no bones about it He'll be lurking (laughs) in the dark Oh, they're going to hang us Oh, we're going to die Oh,
2: they're going to hang us Oh, we're going to die But we'll be looking for you In this week
1: <laughs> but you gotta imagine the song is like "Strom is from Follow." La. Right <laughs> like, now, Sonny Bean has been the inspiration for a lot of pop cultural things. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, it is considered one of the inspirations for Toby Hooper's 1975 grindhouse film, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre,
0: which we know you're a fan of.
1: Huge fan. Mm-hmm. Also, direct inspiration. Wes Craven has confirmed this of the 1977 original version of The Hills Have Eyes. Uh-huh. which I'm not a big fan of that movie but when you watch it and you know about the Sonny Bean story it's like it makes sense. And then a book I want to talk just a little bit about. One of my favorite writers a guy named Jack Ketchum. He's he's since passed away. His real name interestingly his real name was Dallas Marr and it was like m-a-w-r m-a-d like Marr Marr. Um <laughs> But then he picked as his pen name, Jack Ketchum. I'm like, man, you should have stuck with Dallas Marr. <laughs> Jack Ketchum. Mm-hmm. He is this real infamous horror writer. Really great writer. He was kind of considered a forerunner of the splatterpunk genre of fiction, which was like largely associated with like 1980s extreme horror.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, like Clive Barker is like considered sort of the godfather of splatterpunk. Um, well, Jack Ketchum was like an early splatterpunk. His stuff was always extremely rooted in reality. Um, he didn't write supernatural stuff and extremely oh. violent, but written in a way where you could tell, like it's not particularly exploitive, which is okay. what I like about him. Okay. He had a quote. He has a book called uh, The Girl Next Door, which is based on the Sylvia Likens story. <gasps> oh which is just yeah awful which we'll probably never do on this podcast because it's horrible no it's
0: awful it's 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 it is awful
1: it's an awful awful story yeah and he has this novel called the girl next door which is essentially a fictionalized telling retelling of it and there's one chapter where something really terrible is going to happen to the the character Mm -hmm. and then he cuts away in the next chapter it's all being narrated in the first person by this like witness to the whole thing who Mm -hmm. then like it just goes to the next chapter he's like nope i'm not going to describe it like you can like i can't go there basically and it's just like three sentence chapter and then it moves on jack ketchum has said in interviews he was like that wasn't the narrator saying that that was me he was like because he's pulling from this true story yeah he was like he was was just like nope i'm not going to do it He said, I think in the introduction to that book, he, he describes why he writes the type of stuff he does. And he says that, you know, he's not scared of ghosts or vampires. He's scared of people in real life. He says his reaction to being scared is to get angry. So he's writing from a place of anger. Oh, interesting. So when you read his books, which are, I mean, they're a tough, they're a tough go, but they're really well-written. I think what kind of elevates them for me is you feel this almost like indignation at what's happening on the page. Like he's not like reveling in it. He's like, can you fucking believe this shit? Yeah. So many of his stories are kind of pulled from true stories. So his first novel called off season was directly taken from the Sonny Bean legend. It's basically a modern day retelling of Sonny Bean, but set on the coast of Maine, basically these like, Upper crusty New Yorkers go for like a vacation in Maine and this cabin. And then this like feral cannibal clan kind of descends on them. And then it's just fucking bloodshed for like hundreds of pages. Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It was extremely controversial when it was released. People literally, like a few years later, American Psycho came out. And the same thing Mm -hmm. happened with American Psycho. It's like people were picketing the book, people were writing letters to the publisher saying you shouldn't publish this, you should pull it. Scared the publisher of Ballantyne so much that they actually stepped back from supporting the novel and then just let it go out of print. But it became this infamous book within horror fan circles. Mm -hmm. Because it was like one of the few like legitimately almost like banned books of like horror horror books. So of course me as a teenager was like, I need to read this book. Right, get Um, my hands on it. Could not find it for years. It's now, it's been re-released. I found it in paperback, I want to say in the late 90s and read it. And was, like, fully expecting to be, like, I mean, I'm sure, like, it's going to be a letdown because it's, like, so much hyped up about how fucked up this book is. Right. And then I read it, and I was like, oh, no, it's as fucked up as, like, everyone says it is. Like, it is oh, as wow. awful. Not, a, not as disturbing as The Girl Next Door, though, I would say. Because that one, you really know the true story of that one. Yeah. This one, you can kind of go, Sonny Bean was probably a legend. It probably wasn't real, you know. So, anyway, that is the story of the legend of sonny Bean. Ooh, yeah that's terrifying uh, yeah. ending on ending on a down note maybe we should have started with mine and then he could have ended with <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: the happy happy story of uh the legend of sleepy hollow yeah. although mine, you do I have feel... the
1: spine whip in
0: yours so. right but i do feel like mine mine is like ooh spooky and yours was like oh uh... Ugh. yeah that was <laughs> awful
1: scrub my brain with a yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i really should have given that that uh trigger warning like right up top
0: i mean we can record one now
1: <laughs> yeah well and i'm there. also I'll, I'll i might put it in the like show notes and be like trigger right. warning for scott right. episode <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that, yeah that's real that's that's some that's some real rough stuff and it's yeah. interesting because The book that you were talking about and American Psycho. When did those come out? Did they come out in the 80s?
1: So uh, Off Season came out in 1980. Okay. And I believe American Psycho came out in either 1990 or 1991. And that's another book that when I finally read American Psycho, I was fully prepared to be like, oh, it was not as bad as they said. And then was Uh like, no, it's way worse than
0: Oh, it is. How is it compared to the movie?
1: I prefer the movie, actually, because the thing is American Psycho is meant to be a satire on, like, 80s yuppie culture. Right, But the book, he goes so far with the violence that it just kind of overwhelms everything else. You don't remember anything else except for the horrible, horrible, awful shit that he describes for pages and pages. Okay. The movie, I think they, I think the fact that the movie was made by two women actually really Mm. helped. Uh, You know, the screenwriter was, uh, I believe her name is Guinevere Turner. And then Mary Mm -hmm. Heron was the director. I think they kind of looked at the source material and were like, we know what he was going for. Let's like lean into that. So so there's a lot of like hints, like they give you just enough of like the violence to kind of sell it. But there's a lot of stuff that's just hinted to be uh, happened off camera. And it really gives their breathing room for the satire aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like in the book, it's just the stuff that's sort of like suggested in the movie is like fifteen pages of just Ugh. gore. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's a well written book. I mean, Bradley Ellis, he's kind of a dick, but he's a good writer.
2: Right. But
1: it's just like it's it's. I don't think it's successful at what it's trying to do, and I think the movie kind of fixes the problem. Interesting. Not because it's like censorship or whatever, but it's just like they actually like get to the the nuts and bolts of the story. Right off-season was actually made into a movie or actually i don't know if off-season off-season has um a sequel called offspring okay that was basically about like after the cannibal clan in maine is like stopped then like x number of years later some of the kids have survived and then they okay. start attacking people and i know that they made that into a movie it's not a very good movie because but i watched it i think i watched half of it and was like Neh. And then he followed it up with uh, another novel called The Woman, which is sort of a third sequel. And then okay. there's a short story. I'm forgetting the name of the short story. But it's basically – it's about this couple that adopts this, like, strange little girl who they don't know where this little girl comes from. And they're trying to, like, socialize this girl. And then it ends up with just the girl brutally murdering these adoptive parents. Okay, And it's never – overtly said but jack ketchum has had interviews. he's like yeah she was part of the cannibal clan
2: okay um,
1: so okay. there's like a whole kind of series of these books and they're definitely one-timers like they're not books i go back to very much Ooh. yeah <laughs> but yeah but it was all kind of drawn from the Sonny bean story what were you saying though you were asking me something about the time frame Oh
0: times. yeah. Cause I was just wondering like in terms of, you know, like people picketing it and the publishers pulling support and all that stuff. Like, is it, it's, I mean, I don't know. It just seems like there's, there's been a lot of awful things that have happened. There's been a lot of like crazy violence in movies and all this stuff. So it's, it's, it's always interesting to me when people are like, no, this is the line mm-hmm. that, that we're not going to cross. And if yeah. like, this is the thing that we're going to decide to like, protest and and mm. and do that so it's just yeah it's just weird yeah. to me
1: and i'm not sure what like the root of the protests for off season were the jack catcher mm-hmm. book i do know that american psycho was specifically protested by feminists mm. and by the national organization of women mm-hmm. because of the depiction of violence against women
2: mm. and it, and it's
1: awful in the book now i'm i read the book i wasn't offended by the book now, keep in mind, like, cis dude here talking to you. So, you know, grain right. of salt and everything I say. Because I felt like I, I read it and was sort of traumatized by it unexpectedly, but also right. felt like I understood what Brad Easton Ellis was going for. So I didn't, I didn't personally find it, like, offensive. I just found it kind of not very successful. Okay. Like, not as effective at what it was actually trying to do, which was be the satire. That said, I 100% understand why people are offended by that book and why it was picketed. I'm not sure it was effective to do that because I I think the book would probably be largely forgotten, except it became this notorious thing. Right. It's like whenever you have something like that trying to protest something, all you do is just bring publicity to it right so you know but but i like i know no shade to the people who are protesting that book because i understand why i don't necessarily agree but i don't necessarily disagree either.
0: right you know what I mean? it's yeah it's an interesting thing because it's it, it's like it's I'm just curious about where that line is, right? Like, mm. I think that there's stuff that definitely needs, you know, like, f- uh, fucking birth of solid. a nation. Like, yeah, yeah like, nobody needs to see criticism. that shit. That's yeah, like solid criticism, and, and and that's a bunch of bullshit. Right. But but then I wonder, like, where where is the line? And none of this is to say, like, I think the people who 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 picketed it or or did any of who disagreed with it who were offended by it were in the wrong i'm just always wondering about where the societal
1: line is and i do think it you know it's ends up being sort of personal yeah people because like i mean we've talked about this a lot might as well talk about it here on the podcast i do want to do an episode about hp lovecraft at some point Mm -hmm. i'm a huge hp lovecraft fan I mean, but being an H.P. Lovecraft fan is a little bit like being a Birth of a Nation fan.
2: Right. Because
1: H.P. Lovecraft was viciously racist. And it pops up, not as overtly as like Birth of a Nation usually, but it's definitely there in a lot of his fiction. Right. Um, And that is something like as a fan of his work and as someone who's, you know, I consider him one of my like, one of the reasons, one of the things that really brought me into the horror genre when I discovered him. It's something, like, you know, I feel like you have to wrestle with. And, like, it's, it's you know, like, I look at, like, American Psycho as an example of something that, like, I don't think it should be banned. But I understand why people were protesting it. And I think it's, like, the criticism of it is valid. You know? Right. I don't agree with all of it. But I think that book, like, you can't write a book like that and then get mad when people criticize you for it, you know? Right um that's i mean that's always my take and brad easton now, this is why i say he's kind of a dick like he's he's all he's, he had a podcast for a while that i stopped listening to because he was just bitching about cancel culture all the time you right. can tell it's just this like resentful guy that was mad that people had criticized him i'm like well then don't write the shit that you write you know <laughs> like if you like if you want to write the shit that you write fine like i fully support your First Amendment right to do that. But right, but then like, step to your running, own shit. Yeah, step to your right. own shit, exactly. Right. It, yeah, you know, it's, it's like the comedians who wanna tell rape jokes and then get all bent out of shape when someone calls them out on it. It's like you don't have to tell that joke. If you're gonna tell that joke, like you're gonna get criticized. It, right. it goes with the territory. And I think about this as a lot as a horror writer, you know, because I write stuff. I mean, I got some criticism for Dead Billy, my movie. Yeah. Um, That, you know, again, I don't necessarily agree with, but I also, I don't think it was invalid criticism. I think the people, you know, they were watching it through the filter of their experience and I don't have a right to tell them that they're wrong, you know?
0: I think, but I, and I think that's, oops, I think that's actually getting into like a little bit more of what I'm talking about. Right. Because the thing is, is like, there, like, there's plenty of stuff that you can be offended at and just be like, okay, I'm offended by that. And so I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna buy any more of that person's work. I'm not going right. to go to any more of their things. I'm I'm not going to support that, that person or their work in any way moving forward. I think what is a mystery to me, and again, it's not, it's, it's not the why of it. It's where is the line yeah. of where society because again like where's that tipping point right that people are like that we have decided collectively that that is too far we as a group of people have decided that that is too far right and it just is it's it's an interesting thing for me because it's so it's i don't know right like there's a lot of things there's a lot of there's a lot of instances of it that feel very subjective, but then there's other things that feel very like, no, this is a universal truth. Yeah. Kind of birth of a nation, right? Like, no, that's garbage.
1: But honestly, but even birth of a nation though, that's a complicated one. And I'm not going to sit here and defend it. Right. uh, In terms of the content, but like, it's an important film as someone, you know, as a, someone who went to film school, who teaches film. Yeah. Like I can't pretend Birth of a Nation doesn't exist, you know? And I can't pretend that it didn't advance the medium in some ways. Right. More on a technical level, like more on, you know, learning strategies of editing and stuff like that to tell a story. Right. You know, it was part of a wave of films that were really like pushing the medium forward. That said, it's fucking garbage. like, Like there's, there's no way to defend it on on a level of content right and i hope that most of us can agree with that but i don't think you can like, <laughs> look away.
0: if you don't
1: agree with that and you're yeah. listening to this
0: podcast five episodes in yeah i, I don't know <laughs> you may want to not
1: yeah move forward go, with this but no i just like joe rogan or
0: something right <laughs>
1: <laughs> <No, laughs> it was just like the name i pulled out of the sky. You
0: know? i think that's, that's probably fairly accurate though. Yeah. But I I don't know. I think about, uh, you know, pre-2019, 2020 J.K. Rowling. I think about how the Harry Potter books, you know, got, like, they got banned, I think. Um, Oh, yeah. uh, To Kill a a Mockingbird. Like, and that's, again, that's the thing is that, like, I, okay, cool. I can see that somebody's like, I don't like that book. But Mm -hmm. then enough people get together and they're like, not only do we not like this, we think it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. I think that's the thing, right? Is that like, what is the tipping point between being like, I don't like this and this isn't for me into this is dangerous.
1: Yeah. Like there's not like, you know, me as like a heavy metal dude, like I of a certain age, like I very clearly remember the satanic panic of the. 80s right and how like Ozzy Osbourne was Mm -hmm. supposed to be like you know heralding the apocalypse you know right as this like satanic emissary and it's like 10 years later he's on a fucking reality show with his family like right you know so it is always a little bit of a moving target too I also remember very very clearly I was also D&D nerd and this was mm-hmm. in the 80s. And everyone yeah. was like, D&D is making kids turn into devil worshippers and kill themselves. It was all part of that satanic panic era.
0: Right. Know? And I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess if you, well, I saw something the other day. And who was it? It was somebody who, I think they, I think it was their own original content. And I think I'd seen it on Instagram, but it was basically like, if you like, if you are confused about how QAnon happened, it's clear mm-hmm. that you did not live through the Satanic Panic. And it's like 100. <laughs> that's true. Like if that you're like, how did this happen? True. Yeah, how did this happen? How did we get here? It's like, do you not remember that people were like, I mean, D D of all things? Mm-hmm. Okay, Ozzy Osbourne, he was he was, he was out head there really, bats
1: and shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: Living on the edge, and okay, maybe, but D and D, yeah, like, there's just yeah. people playing a game, man. Yeah, <laughs> like to be like, it is, it's a slippery oh. slope from D and D like baby sacrifices.
2: I remember
1: my friend's mom. We would be sitting around playing D D, and she would come in and be like, "What is this?" <laughs> like yelling at us about it. <laughs> and like we're just like I don't know, we like dwarves and elves and shit. Like, yeah, you know, but it was this was satanic. This was occultism. This, you know. Yeah. Um it's weird because yeah, like who knows where the JK Rowling thing will be in 10 years, you know? You no, know, know. JK Rowling was like sort of tried to get canceled by the right back in the 90s for being witchcraft and then right. now with everything going on now, you know, yeah. it's like a whole other realm of criticism coming at her. Right. Which me as I'm you know, I'm much more sympathetic to that argument.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: But then where does that like go into like the work itself? You know, well, that's where yeah. I come with the HB Lovecraft stuff, you know.
0: Right. And that I you know, and then I mean, and that brings us to the thing of like I, and maybe that's the line, maybe that's my own personal line, right? Is that Ooh. like if 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 it's if it's about criticizing the work versus criticizing the person, right? Like That, that, that line there. Hi, Bowie. Um, (laughs) uh, Scotty's dog is making an appearance. Right. But like, that's like, I I don't know. I just, again, I'm just trying to figure out like, for me, when I find out that an artist, a creator or something is a a deeply problematic human being, it's easier for me to separate myself from the content that they create Mm -hmm. than it is when just like the content itself is, is getting into difficult subjects. Yeah. I think, I'm think i certain that there is probably something out there that somebody could be like, uh, eh, Amelia, you say that, but what about this? And I'd be like, 100% you're right.
1: I think for me, it's almost the opposite. Cause I think if I find out someone's a shitty person in some very specific ways, mm-hmm. like I, I can't read their work the same way anymore. Right. And like, you know, I struggle with the Lovecraft thing. Because his work's very important to me, but he was not a great guy, right? He, but he was also a very troubled person. I find him as a person very fascinating, this is why I want to do an episode about him, right? But I really wrestle with with the work itself because of who he was, and like for me, like I can't go back and watch Woody Allen movies. I can't watch the Cosby Show. Not saying I think these things should be banned, but for me, it's just like a line. Whereas right. when it comes to the subject matter, I'm like, I'll. I mean, I like, I don't know if I should admit this publicly, but I'm gonna, I've read the Turner Diaries, which is the like infamous white supremacist novel. Mm -hmm. I read it just like, I think in my twenties out of curiosity, knew, you know, certainly had no interest in the ideology, but I just wanted to know what is this about? Like, I am and even reading stuff like American Psycho or off season, I'm able to like, I don't know, be somewhat clinical about the actual work itself. Right but then the person who created it if they are if they are garbage like it does kind of infuse itself into my enjoyment
0: of it right and i i but i but i think that's exactly what i'm saying and it might be different if lovecraft was alive and publishing things yeah, right that's now true. you know what i mean like it's a little bit of a thing where where if we're ta- cuz when was lovecraft writing
1: early 1900s until kind of the early mid 1930s
0: yeah i mean you know we're looking at a century just about ago and it's it's i don't know i think that there are those of us who can sit there and say in no way condoning this right but but i don't know i mean does that like should we give that grace to birth of a nation like i don't
2: know
1: yeah and and that's a hard one i I don't personally like i don't teach it in my classes like lovecraft's a little bit different in that you know you can avoid the overtly racist stuff if you want to Mm -hmm. it infuses itself in in weird ways but like there's very little that lovecraft wrote that was as just viciously overtly racist as birth of a nation where like people know about lovecraft's racism came from his like correspondences his letters to people stuff okay so like there is a little bit of a firewall right Whereas, like, Birth of a Nation, it's like, yes, I'll acknowledge that it's an important film. I won't teach it to my students. I'm not going to subject my students to that movie. Right. You know? Like, there's no reason to. Yeah. Like, read about it. Know, know the history of it, but, you don't. Know, I'm not going to make you watch it. Like, right. I'm not going to stop you from watching it, but I'm not going to foist those ideas into your head. You know? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I just come back to, like, I think it's got to be somewhat personal for everybody but i think it's important to even if you are a fan or a connoisseur of something that's somewhat problematic don't ignore the ways that it's problematic like that's part of that's part of being a fan of the thing is wrestling with those aspects right
0: Well, and again, I think time has a lot to do with it and not in terms of like, not in terms of like allowing time to soften the, the highly problematic things of stuff, but more in a way of like, you know, I mean, if you buy a Lovecraft book, who's the money going to right now?
1: Right. It's all kind of public domain and stuff. Right.
0: Whereas if I buy a ticket to a Woody Allen movie.
1: Or a J.K. Rowling book.
0: Yeah. Like that money's going into their pocket. You know what I mean? Right. And so. And that like that is a way for me to have a direct like to vote with my dollars, right? But yeah.
1: well, yeah, I don't like, know, it's I've, just a
0: complicated issue.
1: I mean, it's like my thing with Roman Polanski. That I guy. I just refuse you know, because he he made two movies that I love. He made uh, Rosemary's Baby in Chinatown. Mm-hmm. Um I refuse to watch anything he made after he fled the country, after his right. rape conviction. Because it's just like I'm not gonna support that guy you know where and was then, it? like i i don't really go out of my way to watch chinatown and rosemary's baby anymore because it, it's icky like it feels yeah. icky to watch that stuff now
0: yeah i and i don't know i don't know if it's it you know when all the when all the jk rowling stuff started coming out and there was a lot of you know we know a lot of potter fans out there and we know how mm-hmm. how like distressing that was for mm-hmm. a lot of those people and we have also had this conversation that like i don't know that there's any one person's work that holds that much of a special place in my heart that it would be hard for me to give.
1: I mean, the, their stuff the, up. The hardest for me would be Stephen King, um, right? And he's you know he's
0: he's problematic in his own ways. He's had his
1: issues. Um, yeah, but he's not. I. I, I It's it's the sliding scale of awful, right? Like, (laughs) are they a monster
0: or are they just kind
1: of? I think he's kind of an old guy who sort of stumbles blindly into areas that he probably should stay away from, right? Like, uh, like Stephen King famously is not always that sensitive in his depictions of uh, race, right? This may be me as a fan trying to like. Putz make it make my sense. way yeah. and out you know yeah. but like I don't think it comes from a place of maliciousness I think it comes from a place of tone deafness because you know he's in his 70s now he's you know he's a very like liberal progressive guy but he's also like you know I think stuck in the mud in a couple ways
2: yeah
1: it, it's something that bothers me in his work but it's not enough for me to throw it aside
0: Right. Well, and then we start getting into like cancel culture versus call out culture and, yeah. and the varying shades Besides. and nuances and uses
1: and usefulness of, of those two things. and But also abuses that happen yeah. within it. I mean, it's, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see, I don't know where, when the dust settles or if it ever settles. You if know, it ever settles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we just we went off on a
0: Yeah, yeah, we did. (laughs) We like never sat there and talked so much shit essentially after after an episode, but that got us off on a tangent.
1: Yeah, who knew that fifteenth century cannibal clan (laughs) was gonna (laughs) lead to a conversation about cancel culture? (laughs) That is uh the weirdest thing. So um Thanks for listening. Yeah, you can find us on Instagram, you can find us on Facebook.
0: Yes. We'll we'll get a Twitter eventually. Yeah. Oh, I and we, we
1: do actually have an email address at this Which point.
0: Which we've had the whole time, but yeah. we forgot about.
1: <laughs> and I'm forgetting what it is. So so hold on while I look up our email address.
0: Doo do do. I'll do a little like waiting song. Doo doo Do 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 ba ba da, ba It is it is
1: Gmail. I do know that. Okay. Um ba, da, it ba, is okay. It is weirdest thing pod at gmail.com. There so if you have any, like, you know, if you want to criticize anything we said, fact check us propose subjects for us for an upcoming episode, just uh, drop us a line mm-hmm. and we will uh, probably respond. Although I suck at email. So we'll see. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's give it a shot.
0: Okay. Yeah. Good luck with that.
1: All right. <laughs> All right <laughs> we'll, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
0: So, listen, friends, we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find. Might be true, and that's the weirdest thing.